Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. I'm really excited about tonight. It's so good. God is awesome. All right. First of all, look to your left. Oh, that's my left. Look to your right. All right. Soldiers, all of you soldiers for coming out tonight, facing the roads, the weather, everything. Thank you, Bailey. Absolute soldiers. You could turn on your phone, put it in reverse mode. You'd see another soldier. Thank you, guys. Y'all are awesome. So we're in a series called New Year, New Me. We're discussing who God is and how he is an artist in three different forms. One, he's a sculptor who designed the masterpiece of who we are, of mankind, and put on us a reflection of his identity. And so many times we'll take a mask and cover his masterpiece. Last week we talked about who God is as a composer, how he's written this beautiful symphony and the way that we live and breathe and move in him is to follow his rhythm through the Holy Spirit. And the way that we can stay tied in was through prayer, the word, and community. And this week we are looking at God as the author of your story. Last week with the composer, we looked at all of history as this big symphony and our opportunity to play in part of the orchestra. And tonight we're going to zoom in a little bit to just the scope of how God is the author of your story and he's writing it with purpose. Psalm 139, 13 through 18, beautiful verses. And the Psalms are poems, so how appropriate. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. You see the connection? Marvelous are your works. Immediately after it's saying you formed me as in you are a marvelous work. And that my soul, it knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me. When as yet there were none of them. Your days are written by the author of creation and the creator of the universe. He foreknew you and he wrote your days out for you. How beautiful is that? How precious are all your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Like the numbers of the sand are how many the thoughts that God thinks of you. Your days were all written. I found some of these quotes. These are by famous people. They're not up there. You're just going to have to pay attention. These are quotes about other peoples in the secular realm outside of Christianity, how they perceive life and the value of discovering yourself. Are you ready for this? Okay. 
Resolve to be thyself, and know that he who finds himself loses his misery. It's pretty lofty. If you find yourself, no more misery in life. Wow. People often say that this or that person has not yet found himself, but the self is not something one finds. It is something one creates. All right. Knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. That pinched just a little bit. Like, well, wait a minute. Hold on. Slow down. One must know oneself. If this does not serve to discover the truth, at least it serves as a rule of life. And there is nothing better. All the wonders you seek are within yourself. All the wonders? Each man's life represents a road towards himself. The purpose of life is just to find you. Find yourself first. Like yourself first. Love yourself first. And friendship and love will naturally find you. So the more egocentric you are, it's crazy. Know first who you are, then adorn yourself accordingly. You can always find the sun within yourself if you will only search. Put that on a pillow, Grandma. <laughs> it's a life's journey of finding ourselves, finding our power and living for yourself, not for everyone else. That's crazy. What, what an egocentric world. If you don't have Jesus, if you don't have purpose, if you don't have a vision that's greater than yourself, what's left? Just you. What a small scope of life. What a tiny understanding of value. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 through 39. This is Jesus's response to that kind of idea. His response to those kinds of quotes. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That is opposite everything we just read. Jesus is like, forget it. Forget going out and finding who you think you are or finding your life. Let that go. Because whenever you'll surrender your life, if you'll submit your life, then you'll have it. Then you'll find it. What a different understanding. You see, the myth that non-Christians hold, and honestly, when it comes down to it, the myth that we as Christians so many times will cling on to is this, that we hold the pencil with which our lives are written. I've got the pencil. I'm in charge. Life will be what I write it out to be. Now, I, I know that, that Disney movies and thank you, mom, for your faith in me, like these things have all told us, like whatever you want and celebrities, you know, it, but if, if that was really as true as we'd like it to be, I, I feel like a lot of jobs would go undone. I feel like a lot of careers that, of people that, I don't know, keep our power on and keep the, this stuff out of our house, like those same people, if they could literally just like wake up one morning and say, I'm going to take my pencil and write myself a millionaire, they would do it. We would do it. I want to read two poems to you. Again, we're talking about poetry, novels, authorship tonight. One poem is called Invictus. Invictus means unconquered. Are you ready for this? This is, 
This is a super famous. If you haven't heard either of these, I'm sorry. I'm sure you've heard at least one, maybe two of them. Invictus. This is by William Ernest Henley. Says this. You ready to follow me? Cool. Out of the night that covers me, black is the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I think that it wouldn't be too far to think that this guy is writing about maybe death. Maybe, I don't know, the marching of time that can't be stopped. Maybe he's writing about his wife. I don't know. But he's writing about an inevitable future that no matter what happens, what's coming ahead, yes, death may be down there, but I'm going down swinging. That's this guy's mantra. This was also quoted by Ahab. Or no, sorry, a quote by Ahab in <laughs> the book Moby Dick. To the last I grapple with thee from... Hell's heart, I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. Another one who saw death coming and wasn't going down without a fight. That was also quoted by Khan in Star Trek II. I want to read another poem. It's called Footprints in the Sand. I'm sure most of you have heard this poem. It doesn't rhyme, but it's beautiful. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times in his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times of my life, there is only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. And the Lord replied, my son, my precious child, I love you, and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then I carried you. You see, both of these poets are grappling with the inevitability of death and what their life looks like in the scope of it. Both of these authors are wrestling with this issue, and I can tell you that both of these authors are now dead. So both of them have met truth of whatever lies on the other side. But I want you to think for a second about them. One of these authors is full of spite and the other is full of peace. One is rebellious and the other is submissive. Both poems dabble in that mystery of death. Which do you think found peace in their lives? 
Which do you think felt contentment as they actually saw death getting closer? Which do you think experienced hope as they closed their eyes for the last time? One had Jesus to look to, and the other only had himself. One fought a battle for control, and the other surrendered to it. Who was the loser? Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 gives us such hope. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, we also, let me give you some context. In chapter 11, you have a long list of people from the Old Testament that are known for their faith. Over and over and over again, it shows the trials that they went through and the times that they had to stand when they had no way out, that God let them out on a limb. And if God didn't show up, they were failing. That is chapter 11. And chapter 12 begins with this. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about all these people who lived their life for faith, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that was set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The author and finisher of our faith. He wrote this thing out. He wrote history. He wrote your life into it. He is the author. The myth says you hold the pencil of your destiny. That was the theme of Invictus. I'm the captain of my soul. But reality is we actually have very little to cling to when it comes to control. I mean, think about Invictus for a second. I think that this guy I think you'd agree with me. He sees an inevitable fate and he realizes he has no power. The only thing he has control over is an attitude of defiance. And all of that, that anger, that spite, that grappling with the inevitable is just coming out of fear. Fear. But we, as God's people, we can look to the author and finisher of our faith, who in Psalms says, wrote the number of your days. We have a hope and a peace. For those who serve Jesus, God is the author of their lives, which God prepared beforehand. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? It covers all three of these messages. God made you a masterpiece for good works, which he foreordained beforehand. He wrote your days. All right. If we're going to talk about God as the author, let's talk about what a story is. Every story has five things. It has theme, setting, plot, point of view, and characters. Some of you guys are like, I learned that in English this year. Right there with you, Dom. Theme, the central message, the moral of the story, the underlying meaning. Habakkuk 2.14, I think it's up there. Yes, for the earth, 
when it's all said and done, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Just like the water covers the sea, God's glory will be known. John chapter 2, 27 through 28 talks about Jesus and he's looking towards his death and he says, God, Father, I'll go if it brings you glory. Romans 8, 28 says this, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So the theme of this novel that God is writing from the beginning to the end of time, the theme of your story, of the thread of your life in it, is God's glory and your good. Those are the two things that God is out for in that order. God is much more concerned with his glory, but he loves you so much. He's going to work everything together for your good. The setting, the time, and the location that a story takes place, your soul, your consciousness was not like this spark in the chaos of the universe that just happened to end up in your flesh one day. That was, that was planned. That was on purpose. God picked all of time. He picked all the countries on the planet and he picked your family for you to be born into. No one can say that you were a mistake. No one can say that, that evolution happened and we are all just some cosmic oops. God pre-planned this. He saw and knew exactly what your thread in the timeline was supposed to do and he picked the perfect spot to plant you right into time. Beautiful. You know what? Some people have different lots in life. Some are born into very poor families. Some are born into wealth. Some are born into abusive families. Some are born... And I'm not going to propose to understand God that much, but I can tell you this that we can't point to each other and go, well, if only I had their lot, I can do more. Because it's not about where God planted you. What he's concerned with is your testimony that you can look back and say, this is where I've come from because of Jesus. That's what he's concerned about. And if I haven't said it already, I want to say it now. That your story in this big timeline it's not meant to just be your story because we as followers of God, our lives, past, present, future, is a testimony for who Jesus is. Why? The theme is God's glory and you're good. And if our lives are a testimony unto Jesus Christ, then this is no longer my story or your story. This is a Jesus story. Your setting was planned because your life was going to give glory to Jesus. The plot the planned logical series of events arranged by the author. Rising action, conflict, series of event climaxes, and resolution are all part of the plot. The rising action. There's a battle in the heavenlies. Satan is cast out. God creates his masterpiece. Perfect reflection of him plants the masterpiece, Adam and Eve, into beauty and sets them up with one command. Why? Because Jesus says, if you'll obey my commandments, I'll know you love me. And so there is one command for man and woman to have free will to respond to God with a yes every day and say, I love you and I put you first. Rising action and then conflict. 
God's masterpiece, the holder of his love, is permanently and hopelessly separated from him. You and your story were permanently and hopelessly separated from him. But Hebrews 12, 2 says that he's the author and finisher of our faith. It was hopeless. It was permanent. But our God is so much bigger than hopeless and definitely bigger than permanent. So he sets up this series of events. Man is in relationship with God. Man rebelled and receives a death penalty. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. If God is life and we are connected to God, we have life. If God is life and we rebel against God, then we are walking away from Thank you. That's right. We're separating ourselves from life. And so we rebelled and we received a death penalty. God initiates an animal sacrifice. You remember what God does with Adam and Eve? They're naked. They're, they're ashamed. And God gives them animal skins to cover themselves. The first animal sacrifice to cover them. Beautiful. Then God selects a family to be kind of the all-star team. And through this family, he's going to reveal himself. This family endures slavery in Egypt. Do you remember the story? It's Abraham. His family are going to become the Israelites. And God physically saves them from slavery. Then he brings them to the mountain and sets up the sacrificial system where blood and death were required for them to be spiritually saved and set free from slavery. And so the sacrificial system was insufficient because even when this family had it, they failed and rebelled and rejected God. And so God enters the story, not as transcendent, dislocated from mankind, but he enters it as Jesus Christ. And Jesus delivers a plot twist. Salvation doesn't come through works. It doesn't come through just following a series of laws. Salvation comes through believing. It doesn't take an action change. It takes as a heart change. And then Jesus fulfills the blood and death sacrifice by giving himself, meeting God's standards, who no one can meet but himself. Then through the apostles and Jesus, they tell us that if we will surrender control, if we'll put our faith in him, Jesus' sacrifice would be sufficient. It is a series of events that sets up and leaves it open-ended for us to respond. The climax, there's several. All of history was holding its breath, waiting. All of the prophecies, everything were leading up to the passion of Jesus. Everything, the entire Old Testament from, from beginning to end, come, meet me, we'll sit down, I'll show you. Everything is pointing at Jesus. Creation is holding his breath, waiting. And Jesus comes and dies, but he doesn't stay dead. He raises from the grave, the only human that ever did, the only founder of any religion or faith that ever had the guts to say it, I'm going to die, but I'm coming back. And I'm going to tell you when, not some mystical forever time. I'm coming back in three days. And then he was witnessed by 300 people. Four of them sat down and wrote about it. The passion of Jesus is climax. Number one, climax. Number two, personal story is your salvation because all the angels in heaven were waiting on bated breath. Will he, will she for you to respond and the Bible says that when you said, yes, Jesus, I'm yours, the angels like flipped out and threw a party because they were waiting for you to say yes. Climax number two and climax number three does not happen at your death. 
because a physical death is nothing more than a transition. Climax number three, all of creation and you and all the angels are waiting for Jesus to take dominion and bring everything into correct alignment where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Resolution, Romans 14, 11, is what I just quoted. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess to God. The only difference between Christians and non-believers, they will all bow. One will bow before their father and the other will bow before God that they're terribly horrified in front of because they will know that they were wrong. You'll either say, oh Lord, or oh crap. There's only two options, but every knee will bow. The most staunch atheist, the most awful dictator, every demon in hell, every knee will bow before the king of kings. Point of view. Bible says that what we see are shadows of things to come. Our vision is stuck on this side of eternity. I've got some fun things to kind of unpack this a little bit. We're impaired from seeing the fullness of God. Every now and then, see, God's transcendent. The only way we know anything about him is because he reveals himself through revelation. For example, do y'all remember the, the story of Daniel? If you, you go check it out, it's really cool because it gets all kind of crazy and apocalyptic and God's like, and tells Daniel like this, this thing and actually predicts every major empire between Daniel and Jesus's death and sets up this really other cool timeline, which will nail down Jesus's death to the year. Why? Because God reveals himself and he reveals his story sometimes. But we're on this side. We have this hazy kind of trying to see through it. Thank God for the word of God. There is a little old lady, her name was Myra. And she struggled with dementia for the last years of her life. Talk about separation from family, to see them in the face and not know who they are. And this was part of the eulogy. It's beautiful. It's just an excerpt. It's not the whole thing. The tapestry that is each of us, this side of death, I think mostly we see the backside with its loose ends and knots and messiness. But on the other side, the side of resurrection, there are stitches there. The stitches shine like gold. The pattern of our lives, the pattern of Myra's life, completed, perfected, glorious, woven by the God of creation and recreation that we see in Jesus. This is an author. Her name is Casey Zavaglia. Throw up the first picture for me. And she does needlepoint. She takes threads and runs them through a silk sheet to make a beautiful masterpiece. And she noticed one day that when she flipped it over, it was messy. I mean, she already knew this, but she was messy and stuff. And it clicked in her mind. She said, you know what? The messiness of the back to me is more beautiful. It gives like this insight into the person and, and it's, it's multi-layered and there's a depth here somehow. And I think that she's starting to get an idea of what God is trying to show us in creation. That's what this, this guy, the eulogy was trying to say that, you know what, this is what we see. We see the mess and we see everything is all discombobulated and disjointed and, and it seems off and uncomfortable. But the day is going to come when we see Jesus face to face. And let me show you, flip it over. And he's going to see the masterpiece. He sees this the whole time. Look at those eyes. He's been seeing this the whole time. We're just on the other side. 
We're separated. But God sees. And yet we're so afraid to surrender our pencil. But he sees what's coming out. He sees the point of it all. But we're going, no, no, no. It's got to be me. I've got to be in control. And yet he is weaving this. Throw up another one for me. Look at that. It's a wreck. Go ahead, put up the next one. Look at that. Beautiful. That's just one needle prick at a time, y'all. It's just sewing thread. Outstanding. We're so afraid to surrender control. And yet God sees the big picture. We only see this. We're so stuck in our little view, but God sees so much more. Here's just a fun video to, to unpack this a little bit further. Put that up there for me, Isaac. Okay. No one's ever seen this before. I'd like you to hold into Sharpie for a second. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a Rubik's Cube that very few people have seen. It's a stickerless Rubik's Cube. It has no stickers and borders, right? So it doesn't limit my creativity. Because what I'm about to do is I'm about to draw scribbles on this Rubik's Cube. Now, this Rubik's Cube is so much harder to solve than a normal uh, Rubik's Cube because not only do I have to solve for the colors, but I also have to solve for the patterns as well. So we'll try this like that. And, ah, hmm, hmm, okay. Yeah. okay. Um, Ellen, can you initial, <laughs> can you initial right here, Ellen? Uh, right here in this corner. Here? Yes, perfect. I'm gonna mix it up just like this. And, oh, thank you for capping that. Mm -hmm. And can you mix it up as well? Uh -huh. Perfect. So I've been practicing for about 10 years, learning how to solve the Rubik's Cube. If anyone, I'll take it back. Ellen, just saying go. Go. Okay, just like this. Now I'm using a method known as F2L, and that's a system that allows me to solve a Rubik's Cube at breakneck speed, just like this. And uh, let's see, let's try this. Yeah. And one more. Boom. I could also do it from memory too, if I do it like this. Done. Solved cube. Um, just solving a cube, I've done that, but the, the, the image isn't quite there, you can't really see it, but sometimes if I just, uh, just try something like this, watch the image. If I just... Ellen? Ellen. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, Ellen, I want to try an exercise with 24 Rubik's Cubes, all right? So when I was in college, to get my mind focused, I'd write down what I was thinking on this notebook. For example, um, I have a Rubik's Cube, girls, Lamborghini, a bench press, Pac-Man. Mm -hmm. Can you hold the notebook in your hand like this? Yep, and then put yeah. my hand like yeah. that. And close your eyes and riffle up the back of the book. Mm -hmm. And when you want, stop, okay? And lift up and look and remember. Okay, you okay. got it? Yep, got close it. Close the back it. Yep. And I'll take it back mm -hmm. and we're done with this. Now we're gonna try something, it's called speed mixing and stacking. You're gonna mix these Rubik's Cubes, I'm gonna stack them, but this entire time, I want you to focus on your word, okay? Are you ready? Like and mix them up and then hand them to you? Yeah, yeah, mix them okay. up, mix them up, okay, okay, mix them up. Let's go now, okay, go ahead. Okay. Oh, wow, no, no, you're going way too fast for me. That's okay. Uh -huh. All right. 
I try to keep on mixing, keep on mixing. I'm stacking. Eleanor, have you done this before? Yeah, oh, every day. <laughs> so this is, uh, we're almost, we've, we've done the first, essentially the first two layers and we're about to do the other, oh, thank you, Ellen. Um, let's see, this one can go right here and this one can go right here. And I'll take this one. Oh, actually, this one doesn't look okay. This one could go right here. Keep focusing on your word. We're right. Almost halfway done. Right. And the idea is simple. Don't let any other thought come into your mind. Okay. Just think of your word. All right. And oh, this one too. And we'll try this. Um, do you do you see uh, what's kind of like? Yeah, you do see it, right? You do. Yeah. It's. I think, uh, I think so because yeah, I'll, okay, okay. I'll tell you in a minute. All right. So. Um, perfect. We'll take this one and I. I'm quite a perfectionist, so I'm gonna take my time. Oh, can you mix this one again for me? Thank you. Uh, let's see, this one can go right here. This one right here. And we'll take these here. And this last one right here. Done. Ellie, what was the word you're thinking of? I wasn't thinking of it, I oh. read it from your book, yeah. but Super Mario. Oh yeah, I used to love that game. Yeah. See, sometimes the image looks a little crazy when you really hone in on that thought. Right. You can actually make Super Mario. You're amazing. Thank you You're so amazing. much, Ellen. Thank awesome. You. Go to our website to find out more about Paul's magic. So many times we see the disjointed, crazy, wild backside, and yet... The master is at work. Something that I like about this video is just like our friend here, I obviously didn't have a girlfriend in college. God invites us to come. He gives us instructions, wants us to join with him in the process. He takes the little that we have to offer. We have no idea what we're doing. We just try, you know, and, and he accepts what we have to give. And then in the master's hands, he is weaving together a beautiful picture, far better than Super Mario. Maybe the Lamborghini, that would have been a better picture. That's the kind of God we serve. And I know life sometimes seems crazy and it seems purposeless and it's spiraling out of control. And, and you feel like the little things that you do for the Lord, whether it's reading your Bible or just trying to be friendly to somebody, I, I know that it just seems like it just ends up a marble's drop in an ocean in a storm. It doesn't really make much of a ripple. That's what it feels like. Maybe that's what the voice in your head is saying. I'm not making much of a difference. I'm just here trying. I'm just trying to make a decent grade on my test tomorrow. But all you're seeing is the backside of that Rubik's wall because everything that you're willing to offer up every time you're willing to surrender the pencil and say, God, I'm, I'm really not in control here. It's yours. The master is designing something beautiful. All we have to do is just say yes. Character persons in the story. God designed you and me to be dynamic characters, not static. Characters that will incur change and through that change grow and be more than who he started out as. The protagonist in a story, they're clearly at the center. They're the person whom the action centers, who is attempting to accomplish something. I got news for you, y'all. We live in Jesus stories. You and me are not the protagonists in our story. We're not the main character. Why? Because the theme is God's glory and our good. 
I know that's uncomfortable. Honestly, if you break it down, really, we play the antagonist way more often than we play the protagonist. God's trying to do something in us and we just keep throwing on the brakes. We're so concerned that he might not have our best interest in mind. And we're just trying to like keep control of the pencil. And, and we're really more of an opponent to everything flowing smoothly than we are the protagonist. And even if you're, for those that are Christians, God is actually kind of still like in control. They just don't want to hear about it. Just makes them mad. And by the way, <laughs> not the captain of the ship. But we as Christians know that we surrender to him. The other characters in our lives, they either push us towards or away from the theme. And so I, I'm not going to spend any much more time on it, any much more time on it. That's not literary. Are your friends who play characters in your life, are they pushing you towards or away from the theme in your Jesus story? Finally, purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 says this. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Is that it? Okay. God knows the plans that he has for you. You have a purpose. Seek me and you'll find me. A plan for good and not for evil. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have two purposes it boils down to this. Your career is not your purpose. Your future family is not your purpose. These things, your career is what you do. Because when it comes down to it, what you do is only the vehicle through which God is going to put you in place to give him glory. And so your career is not it. It's not your purpose. Your family is not your purpose again, but your family is the place that God is using you to be a vehicle to bring him glory, to be light and salt. Your purpose comes down to these two things, to seek him and to go and make sure that people know his name. Simply said, it's to know him and to make him known, to know him and make him known. That is your purpose as God's people, as light and salt in the earth. We got to pursue him to get to know him better. And guess what? He says, we'll, we'll, we'll find him. And the other half is we make him known through everything. If you're a carpenter, if you sell realty, if you're gathering trash, it doesn't matter what it is. That is your opportunity to shine. Whether you're sitting behind a computer all day, whether you're working with your hands or you're at a desk, it doesn't matter. Whether you're with your family or you're with your friends or you're out celebrating at a restaurant, it doesn't matter. Your purpose in that place, in that time, in that setting is to know him and make him known. You can begin by actually surrendering your life to him. Actually passing off the pencil instead of believing that we are the writers of our lives. You can read the word and get to know it. It's hard for him to use us if we don't actually know who he is or what he's about. We can be willing to leave our comfort zones. So be ready. Be willing. If you see a need, meet it. You don't have to do everything. Do something when you see somebody in need. 
Ben said it this past Sunday with the couple who have the ministry in India, show up and God will do stuff. So my challenge as you go into this week, take that pencil that you're so sure that you can, that this gives you control of your life and surrender it. I'm no longer the author of my life, but I will serve the author of my life. I will surrender the pencil to you, Lord. I'm going to know you. I'm going to make you known. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that your theme is your glory, but you also included us and you care about our good. Lord, I pray that you'll give us peace when what we see as good is different from what you see as good. Lord, I pray that we will worship you, our sculptor, our composer, our author. Help us be okay with seeing the messy side of the tapestry. Remind us daily that nothing that we do is worthless, that nothing that we do is wasted. You are working everything together for your glory and our good. We worship you, our creator. In Jesus' name, amen.